Welcome to Inspirational Leadership. My name is Kristen Harcourt and I'm your host. I'm an executive coach and a professional speaker. And I created this show to speak to strategic HR leaders, forward-thinking experts, and progressive CEOs who are really invested in creating positive work cultures where people get excited to go to work, where they can do their best work, and it's really a humanized environment. So I am super excited for today's guest. I'm going to be speaking with Alicia M. Campbell. And Alicia is an HR leader. She specializes in diversity and inclusion. She's a strategist. She does a lot of work around organizational development and design and culture and speaker and trainer. So excited to have you on the show today. Thank you. So excited to be here. Um, so Alicia, let's just start off with, um, I I'd love to hear a little bit more about your career journey. What got you into HR? Yeah, great question. Um, so it's funny, I actually never imagined my career um, growing into the HR field. I actually went to school for accounting and um, I, I recently, I was a recent grad, you know, um, trying to find a job opportunity and I went to a recruiting agency to see if there was something that they could kind of, you know, help open a door for me. And by the time I left, they were the ones offering me the job. Um, <laughs> and so I really had to make a decision. I was, you know, literally months from graduation, um, really eager to get into the workforce. And I was like, you know what? Experience is experience. Let me try it out. Um, maybe this could lead to other things. I think I'm always that optimistic, that optimistic individual that's like, you never know what, you know, this door can lead to other doors and things of that nature. So I took the opportunity and I didn't realize just how much I loved, you know, recruiting and working with people, helping them find new opportunities, engaging with their personal life and what they were looking for and their ambitions. And, you know, I thought to myself, this is something I could see myself doing you know, for a really long time. And then just as my career started to really form, I realized what the areas of HR that I wanted to get more invested into. So I started to then go after roles that allowed me to still use my strengths as a recruiter, but then expose me to other areas of HR, like more of the operational side or more of the employer relations or more of the, um, you know, benefits and payroll um, elements of, of the HR team. So that allowed me to have a really full scope of, okay, what is the fundamentals of HR? And then and from there, I was really able to dig deep and say, okay, this is the area I really want to focus on and, and really kind of hone in my expertise in, um, which was the employee engagement side. And so I just kept either taking on more responsibilities in my current roles or being able to find new opportunities that allowed me to, you know, really um, take ownership in those areas. And that's kind of what landed me here today um, in, in my 10-year career. Wow. Wow. It's, it, and I've heard that many times where people didn't necessarily say graduating from school, okay, I'm going to go into HR, but there's different transferable skills. There's a passion. There's an energy around what's happening in that space that really attracted them to it. And, you know, I think that's somewhere I'd like to start with you, um, Alicia, because I think with HR, the, even the word HR, um, there's different perceptions around HR and what it is. And, and I think there's some reasons for that. And there's a reason I brought you on the show because I would consider you a very progressive, a very straight strategic HR leader. And so from your perspective, why do you think HR sometimes gets a bad rap? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I think it's because 
I don't, I think up until recently, businesses haven't done a good job of utilizing and utilizing and even further understanding what human resources actually is within the functionality and structure of a business. And so because there hasn't been that understanding or that wanting to explore the power of human resources within a company, it hasn't been able to really have a seat at the table, I would say until the last decade, where really like leaders have brought in a human resources to say, okay, listen, we really need to create a people structure. We really need to create a people strategy. We really need to think about how we're looking at our talent, our biggest asset, and utilizing them and supporting them and making sure they're set up for success for the business. And so I think um, in very, you know, old organizational organizational structures where it was a very operations based and bottom line and numbers and metrics people weren't leadership wasn't looking at the actual talent they weren't looking at how they're utilizing their people how they're understanding how their people are literally the lifeline and blood of their business and that when you put them first when you take care of them when they feel supported when they feel like they are safe and there's trust that the amount of availability of power within your employee base is just phenomenal and so as more studies have come to light as more and leaders have proven the various leadership philosophies that surround employee first leadership i think it's now you know very tried and true that when you support your employees and when you create an environment that they're able to do their best work they will deliver for you 10 times over than when they don't feel supported and when they don't feel that they have that element of psychological safety and so growing you know growing in my career and i realized those elements you know in real time and i realized when i was in environments where i was supported versus where i wasn't it was very clear to me that this is the you know anthem that i want to you know to ring loud and clear when it comes to human resources. If, if there's anything that anyone takes from any conversation that I have, it's that employee first leadership is where you are going to optimize your business in ways that you never thought were possible. And so I think there's just been a revolution about that in, in the last little bit. And it's becoming very, very clear, I would say every day and from every article, from every podcast how important this area of business leadership is and it's really starting to have hr a, a legit seat at the table absolutely and, and and that's why i even like when it's called people and culture and even mm -hmm. sometimes changing resources because resources sometimes feels like a leftover of the old paradigm where it is like these resources these capital and mm -hmm. their numbers and metrics and no they're human beings and you treat exactly. human beings really well they want to succeed they want to help you um your your business do really well and and i think as you were saying that too um, um, when you start to notice those more progressive cultures, there's also this really strong understanding around the purpose and the mission and where they're going. And each individual feels very connected in their way to that purpose and feel that meaning and then that mm -hmm. sense of belonging. And, you know, as we start to think of this sense of belonging, I know you're doing a lot of work in the space of diversity and inclusion. And, and right mm -hmm. now there's, uh, there's, there's, I believe, um, what should have been happening what has been happening for many years, but there's a really good shift happening right now. Some amazing dialogue. And then it feels like, and this is what I'm receiving, and I think again, it's the progressive companies. This isn't an exercise. This isn't something we're checking off in a box. Yeah. They're really getting 
the ways they were detrimentally holding back individuals um, when we come when we come with some of the marginalized individuals in, in their organization. So talk to me a little bit around what you're noticing and what you're seeing and where you might see hope. Yeah, that's a really great point, Kristen. I, I totally wholeheartedly agree. This I feel like this time it's different. Like like you had mentioned, I don't feel a lot of the companies who are serious about truly creating being a more inclusive and equitable workspace. This is not something they're just trying to check off a box to. They're truly trying to revolutionize and change their workforce culture from the top down. And I'm seeing strategies being put in place. I'm in conversations with my other colleagues or you know other mentors and HR is at the head of the table and they're, they're bringing in specialists. They're putting towards budgets. They're creating infrastructure. They're creating a space where not only is it just leadership led, but the employees have a voice as well in a way that is really unfiltered um, and kind of not trying to fit into an agenda, but is truly made to support them in the ways that they identify support. Because a lot of the times when you hear about, oh, support and our marginalized employees, it's like, well, you know, we have this resource or this resource. And it's like, well, is something really support if that is not the way that I feel supported? Um, does that does that mean that I have to say it's support if it's not what I identify as support? Um, and so when you think about it like that, it's like, although the intentions maybe in other areas may have been good, they weren't resolving the actual issues. They weren't talking about the tough conversations and putting numbers and metrics and goals towards correcting something that hasn't ever been fixed probably since the inception of the of the organization. And so when you think about how much work or rework needs to be done and how much rethinking and regrowing needs to happen, it's it is not an overnight uh process by any means um necessary. It's something that is going to take years to fully come to its full realization where the diverse city and belonging of a, of a business is the fabric of who they are. And so I always talk to any colleagues um, within the business that it's important that you support the business as an as a HR and people professional in this space. And if you don't have that background or that expertise, that's okay too. But, you know, now it's time to educate yourself or recommend resources or other expertise because you want to make sure the business gets it right. You want to make sure that they are set up for success. And ultimately, as, you know, the, 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 the overseers of people, people and culture, that's essentially what we're here to do, to make sure that our people are set up for success. And that starts from the leadership downwards. Like there's no one that's excluded from that oversight. So it's really important that we, I think more so as HR and people professionals, take that extra time and extra work to truly understand what a company needs to do to transform, share resources, watch um, videos, podcasts, whatever element you want to get your you know, information from and be that proactive essence that the leadership needs so that they're not walking blind. And then through that own, get them to own accountability of how they're going to own the diversity and inclusion strategy for the company and then help support them as they start to execute that.
Yeah, so important. And I, I think I love what you really acknowledge there. Um, don't feel like you have to know it all and be the expert. And, and actually, what I see sometimes is the person does try to take on that role, and then it's not going to actually get done properly because they don't have the expertise. And that's why you have other people that you can rely on. And so mm-hmm. I think when we, we start to think about um, diverse, diversity and inclusion and equity and belonging, there are some really strategic ways that this can be done more effectively. And I, I really liked when we were having our last conversation, you talked about some of those ways that you can, um, you know, this isn't about a bandaid, this is getting at the root cause. And you started to allude to some of those things just in, in the last question, but what else do you think, um, how does it look different to really take a strategic approach around this? Yeah. I think where the strategic element comes in is first recognizing that there's a problem because if you don't really start to like see the issue as what the issue is, you're never going to really solve it. You're not really going to hit the nail on the head and create a proactive solution to overcome what you're trying to fix. And so I think that's really the first element and that, and, and, and that's probably, I would say the hardest element because no one ever wants to admit that they are creating an environment where their employees don't feel safe, but they where people may not feel like they belong or feel included. Um, that would mean you are a bad leader. That would mean that you may not be the best organization that people would want to come and work for. And so no one wants to admit those things, but being able to recognize that you may not have been able to fully support your organization in these endeavors is the first step in really creating a strategy at the roots of what you're trying to fix. If you can't address the issue, you're really only attacking the symptoms and you're, and you're really not going to get to the cure of what you're trying to, to manage. And so I think at the leadership level, because everything starts from the top down, you know, if your leadership is not bought into the idea of having um, equity within the organization, no matter how the employees rally together, you know, self-organize, create their own programs or support units, they're never going to feel supported and it's never going to have much traction without that leadership buy-in, acknowledgement and support at all levels. And so it's really important that once the issue is acknowledged and realizing that at that point we will not tolerate and stand for this anymore, that's when the real work can begin. And leadership really needs to take that first step in saying, this is what we're going to do. This is what a strategy can look like. And it's not, again, this is not stuff that, you know, after one meeting, okay, we're going to have it all solved. This, you could be in meetings for months trying to figure out, depending on the size of your company, how are we going to tackle this? Because it's one thing to just look at, okay, well, it's always the easy, let's look at human resources. Let's look at recruiting. Let's look at engagement. Let's look at, you know, pay scales and growth development and how fast are people moving up the corporate ladder who are not necessarily a white male. But there are every single element within your organization from finance to operations to HR to to, uh, product if you're a tech company, um, IT, there's every element that you can have some type and some form of inclusiveness ingrained in your principles and procedures. And so with that, it's very easy to just look at the HR pillar of your business, but you have to go way beyond that if you truly want it ingrained within every element of your organization and also within your culture. And so I think 
breaking it down one by one, understanding where the problems lie within every element of your business, and then making sure that you're having a people first focused solution that is inclusive, that has elements of diversity and that it's equitable, which I think is even more so important, is that is that first real identification of what's going to lay your roadmap or action plan moving forward. And so getting leaders from all those various areas of your business, breaking down the processes, breaking down the procedures and analyzing them to say, okay, well, how are we making a decision when it comes to choosing our vendors? How, how are we making a decision when it comes to choosing our customers or who we partner with for certain projects? What's, what's our scorecard? What are we evaluating them on? What's their views on diversity and inclusion? How are they approaching equity in the workplace? Because that is an open point and an entrance point for more bias to come in and to creep into your business. So you, so just in that one example alone, you have three entrance points that just as you think about growth and growing and you know, client and customer acquisition, you're bringing bias back into the organization. And so I say that to say this is, again, by no means an easy exercise by no means something that is something that you can accomplish fast. Um, it is something that takes its time. This is not a race. This is a marathon and you have to commit to what you are doing because there's going to be frustrating moments. There's going to be moments where you don't know where you're going to doubt the decisions you're making, where you don't feel like you have the right data or information, but you have to continue to push through those points get the resources that you need to make the right decisions so that you're doing what's best for the company in the long run. Wow, really, really powerful, Isha. And I, I think it really points to, and I like that you went there uh, right away, just in terms of the culture piece too, right? I can't tell you how many times would I hear, oh, HR owns culture. I'm like, no, HR doesn't <laughs> own culture. This, no. You have a whole bunch of human beings yes. working in your workplace. I'm sorry, it's like HR staying beside each, each person, yep. uh, every single behavior and every single thing they do. Yep. Sometimes yep. it's around micro behaviors, right? And helping mm -hmm. people understand these micro behaviors that they're not even aware of. So Mm -hmm. I like what you're um, helping people understand that it's multi, very multifaceted and there's different things that are happening um, all, all at the same time, right? It could be individuals where they're starting to have more awareness and where they might've been contributing to um, some of the systemic things that were happening mm -hmm. in the organization, but they weren't even aware, right? So now what was unconscious exactly. starts to become conscious and then mm -hmm. everyone's starting to take more ownership, taking more responsibility. There's a safe space to be able to talk through this. So as you were saying too, that everyone feels like there is the psychological safety and there is the trust where they can say, right? Someone who is marginalized or is feeling microaggressions can feel safe speaking Absolutely. up and, and saying what's going on. And um, I think it's, it's really important to, as a reminder, we just uh, culturally with this whole instant gratification and things happen mm -hmm. overnight, uh, we need to really drop that philosophy because that's not how change happens. It doesn't happen yeah. overnight. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so thank you so much for sharing that. And uh, you know, what, what shows up for me in this moment, Alicia is, can you think of um, perhaps a story to like really make it more tangible where you did work with a company? It doesn't have to necessarily just be on um, diversity and inclusion and equity. It might even just be around culture change where you mm -hmm. started to create some of that awareness and then some of the shifts you noticed in the organization. Yeah, that's a really great point. Um, 
so I, as, as with a lot of different professions, uh, there's a lot of support groups, um, you know, depending on what field you're, you're in. And I, I always rely on my HR support groups, especially because I feel that a lot of what leaders and, and different managers at all levels and even really employees, and as we kind of mentioned earlier, don't understand, you know, the facets and, and the layers of, of HR and what we do, how we function, our purpose and all of that. And so I was, I was speaking to a peer of mine and, and relaying that, you know, kind of, you know, sharing more stories. And we didn't, we realized just how, although different, because her company was in a different industry than the company I was supporting at the time, how, although very different, very night and day different, um, very similar in terms of their methodology and their culture practices and, and procedures. And so I was giving her advice and saying that it's, it's so key that as you start to see the changes and as you start to support your business, that you start to also acknowledge the changes that are happening and you start to see culturally that within the, within the employee group, because anything that happens and that's kind of, you know, not dictated, but from that's, encourage from the top down, you're going to see a ripple effect on all layers. And it's important that you have reinforcement of those of those decisions all the way down because then things can get lost in communication. And as she was, as I was saying that, she was like, you know, saying that it was a really good point because she, they were rolling out a new employee rewards initiative and they were, and the leadership was very excited about it. They were going to reward employees, not only for tenure, but for doing different acts of kindness and service within the business. And it really started to build a camaraderie with all the employees to a point that they were supporting one another they were communicating better they wanted to see each other win instead of tearing each other down or be competitive in a way that was more toxic than healthy and when the company started to say we are prioritizing how we treat one another and recognizing what that looks like and started to reward those good behaviors we, that's when the employees really started to take note and really started to alter and modify their own behavior to align to the leadership's new expectation. And the, the leadership had to stay true to their alignment. They did, you know, show open recognition and rewards, and they had different competi friendly competitions that allowed individuals to, you know, be able to talk and share and relate and be but being able to show their different expertise in the different areas of their business and literally within the next six months when they did their employee engagement survey engagement was up 25 percent um which at that point the reason that this all kicked off was because they felt like people just were connecting anymore people were starting to not feel connected to the business not feeling connected to each other and it broke down communication it broke down trust it broke down relatability to the to the point that it actually started to affect client relations because there was just too much broken telephone happening. And so when the leadership took a step back and say, okay, what is really the root of the problem? And they realized that instead of everybody working together, they were working against one another. They had, they realized they had to change the culture and the attitudes. Um, and they, and they realized that there was a, a massive turnaround in that. And through the years that they continued to push those initiatives and innovate in that way, um, employee engagement results went up, client satisfaction went up, um, employee uh, happiness went went up as well. So there was just so much good that came out of realizing that there was a problem and wanting to fix it with a proactive employee first solution. 
You know, it's funny as you're saying that, Alicia, because I, I, I always, I laugh because there's so many parallels to kids and raising kids <laughs> and raising employees because it's the same yeah. thing. Of course, you want to always, always positively reinforce the behaviors that you want to see more of and constantly acknowledge it. So they're like, oh, I like this. I get, you know, yeah. I get rewarded when I'm doing that as people are noticing. So I want to do more of that. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I think about the old uh, the old style of leadership that was a very command and control, right? Uh, people mm-hmm. don't want that. And kids don't want that either. Kids don't want you're their right. parents like using fear to get big things happen. And so yeah. I really like what you're pointing at is, you know, continue to help people understand what those behaviors look like, right? Because it's one thing you can have these beautiful values. Okay, what does it look like? What are the behaviors yeah. to be using those values every every day? And then it also reminds me of when you think about your leaders in the organization and how you're compensating them. Well, are you also giving bonuses around the fact that they are uh, using those behaviors every day when you start to look at performance and look at personal development and Mm -hmm. what they're doing well? Are you only focusing on the business outcomes? And if they got Mm -hmm. their numbers, then they're getting bonuses. Okay. Well, then you're just reinforcing. Okay. So I'm only going to get compensated and it's only being reinforced on me hitting my numbers. Doesn't matter how I go about hitting the numbers because there's no accountability, no conversation Mm -hmm. around the behaviors. I'm using to hit those numbers. So I, I, I really exactly. like what you're, um, what you're, you're talking about there, because I think the more that people really recognize and then also understand there's going to be accountability if there's continuously having conversations around those performance issues and those behaviors are not showing up, what's going to happen if that continues to happen, right? What are the consequences? Absolutely. So Alicia, tell me about, um, uh, you know, the show is called Inspirational Leadership. And to me, inspirational leadership is around having those people first organization and people first leaders. So I'd love to hear from you when you think about these people first, people centric organizations and the leaders that are working within these organizations, what are some of those behaviors? Like, what do we want to see in leaders who are going to create these really um, energizing, engaging environments? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, it was funny. I was thinking about that earlier this week um, because of some articles that I was reading about um, employee first leadership and values based leadership. And I think for me, the biggest thing that you know that comes to mind when I think about an organization and and, and the theme of the leadership is that they are transparent with their business. Hands down, there is just an open level, clear cut doors open, transparency that the employees feel safe because they don't feel like they're being excluded from anything. They don't feel like they're missing something. They don't feel like something's being purposefully hidden away from them. So when I see that and I see that the leadership is able to, you know, truly communicate and talk to their employees because like their people, because they are, there's just such um, an honesty and a truthfulness and just an, an, a culture of openness that just allows for innovation, you know, risk taking, um, great relationships to form. And it's just, it's so palpable. Like you, you don't second guess that something is different about the organization because it is. And you can't necessarily put your finger on it, but you realize that what you've experienced in the past and when you step into the doors, it's when we with people who have this type of vibe and just trust with one another, it's just night and day different. And so again, it all starts with the leadership showing that example, because if I'm an employee and my leadership, I know that is not being transparent. They only tell the facts that they feel make them look good. I know they're not being honest with me. It makes me think, well, 
you know, what is, what, what's really going on here? What, what is it, what are you saying to me as an employee that I can, you know, also not have to be honest or also not have to be open and truthful. But yet what's funny is that in the space of, of transparency, leaders always want the employees to be transparent and open and say what's going on and tell me how you feel, what's going through your head. How, how, what do you think about this? But yet when I, it comes to the flip side and I ask you as a leader, how, how is the operations of the business going? How are we going to manage our business going into 2021 in the midst of COVID-19? And you can't give me a straight answer or you just want to, you know, sugarcoat it. It's like, well, what does that, what is that saying about how you perceive me as your employee? What are you saying by not saying the truth? Um, and it really makes you stop and think and pause and say, you can't expect someone um, just because they're an employee and yes, you, you pay them a salary and they work for you at eight, nine hours a day to say, come every day, give your all, you know, tell me how you feel, be honest and open with me. And then I don't get the same back. At the end of the day, an employee and employee and employee relationship is a relationship at the bottom line. It's a relationship. If I'm in a relationship with my, with my husband, I can't expect a healthy relationship if I'm holding back and he feels that he has to be vulnerable all the time or vice versa. And it's the exact same thing with any, with any organization, no matter what industry, size, business that you are. You can't expect your people to do something unless you are willing to do it also. Um, and I think it's so important that as a leader that you recognize that you are not above the core values you put out there that you encourage everybody to embrace you are not above being you know being able to be on the policies and the procedures you at hand are an employee as well and so i think when leaders understand that and that employees that they work for the employees and the employees don't work for them that that's when you start to see the shift in the type of leaders that truly understand what what they're in what they're in the business to do at the end of the day a leader is essentially supposed to increase the roi of a business and the biggest asset on any bottom line is usually more or less the employees and so if a leader can be able to make that connection and be able to tap into what it truly means to be a people first leader your competition doesn't stand a chance Absolutely. And I think, as you said, that's a shift, right? Sometimes people are just not operating from that paradigm. And so to get a little bit more tactical, um, you know, as an executive leadership coach, I'm, I'm constantly working with leaders who are, of course, at the stage where they are open to growth. They want to work there. I, I don't tend to work with people who are over here, who are, you know, performance, the organization's about to kick them out and say, okay, one last shot, right? I'm the ones yeah. who are good wanting to go to great, right? They, yeah. they get the value, they get the responsibility, they get the gift of being a leader. But like all humans, we all are going to have strengths and sometimes they're not even going to be leveraged as well as they could. And then we're going to have blind spots. And to me, coaching is such a great space and opportunity to learn more about yourself and those ways that you could be holding yourself back, getting in your own way without realizing it. So yeah. I'm just curious for you, Alicia, because you've been working in um, as an HR leader and have exposure to leaders all the time. Um, what do you you notice are some of those struggles that um, that leaders have where there's an opportunity for development you see some patterns yeah all the time I would say the biggest thing that gets into a leader's way is is their ego um, and that they have you know an immense amount of pride in their career in the work that they've done and the companies that they've worked at that they can't see beyond themselves and they can't take that step back and take that unobjective 
view of how their actions are, are impacting the lives of their employees. Um, I, again, I was talking to a colleague of mine where the CEO wouldn't speak to anybody who didn't have senior VP or was a C-level suite in their name, wouldn't do it. They would delegate other people to speak to um, the employees or speak to the VP, to speak to the director, to speak to the manager, et cetera, but they wouldn't do it. And they're like, you know what, I've, and in their mind, their philosophy was, I've worked my career to be at a level where I don't have to talk to people um, at all levels anymore, but I have people around me and people below me that do that for me. And it was just, it was, when you hear things like that, it's such, my heart sinks because it's like, you you really don't get what it means to be a leader. Yes, you, you lead, you, you, you know, you have an organization of people, you lead a business processes, procedures, you're responsible for revenue and bottom line, but you really don't understand the essence of leadership and the importance and the duty that you hold um, with that type of responsibility. And it's just, it's, it's so sad because there was so much we could probably learn from that person, so much that they could teach us with their years of experience, um, the things they've seen, the, the things that they've interacted with, and they could share that knowledge and learn themselves from the rest of their organization, but they, but they choose to shut themselves out from that. And so I find that always ego and, and pride is, are the two biggest things that get in the way of leaders really looking to make that transformational change. And I, and I, and I, and I, don't, and I don't say that lightly because I know that looking in the mirror and having either someone else tell you that, you know, there's a problem or you recognize that there's a problem, it's, it's a hard pill to swallow because no one likes to think that they're wrong at the end of the day. Um, but it's important that at any leader, especially as you get higher within the organization, that you have a, a, either a trusted third party, unbiased individual that can give you honest, critical, and imperative feedback on your leadership styles and kind of give you a report card. Because if you don't have that individual truly letting you know how your actions are being perceived, you will never get better. And so I think first and foremost, leaders need to start to look at themselves and say, what type of leader am I? Or, and if you don't know how to identify that and it's too much to really take in, there are tremendous leadership coaches out there that can truly um, assess that and give you feedback and give you support and resources. As I imagine, you know that as well, Kristen, in, 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 your, in your line of work that it's, it's, it takes a village. And so I think once leaders understand that and be able to utilize that, that is when that ego and that pride can step away and they're starting to really strip down to see the implications of, of their actions and their words to a whole organization. Absolutely. And I'm a big believer from a personal growth perspective. We're always growing, we're learning, we're expanding, we're developing. Um, so as a last question for you, Alicia, you're also a leader. And so you're also <laughs> growing and developing. Um, so I think it's, it's also helpful to be vulnerable and share parts of yourself. So what do you learn uh, if you think about yourself in your personal growth journey? Um, what shows up for you as an area that might have maybe has held you back sometimes, maybe currently now you're working on wherever you want to go, um, share a, a little bit with me in terms of your personal growth journey. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, I think in my, in my career and, and being, you know, a female and a woman of color, I always thought I had to have the answer. 
um, especially being in the HR field where um, I always had to back up whatever I said with a number or a metric or research. It was important and really imperative that I got it right, always got it right. And so I was very hard on myself. I was very critical of myself earlier on in my career where if I felt that I didn't have it down to the exact science or to the exact number that I was going to be, you know, looked down upon from my colleagues and from my leadership. And so that allowed me, that created really an essence, a mindset in my head that I was never good enough and that the work that I was doing was not good enough. And as I continued to grow and mature, not just only as an HR professional, but as a, a woman, I realized that saying I don't know something is okay. And that there's strength in saying, I don't know something. And the reason I came to that conclusion was because I actually was in a situation where I was so nervous about um, an employee situation that I was dealing with that I wasn't, I wasn't clear on the facts of what was going on in the situation that I was asked to give insight into. And I realized that by me trying to overcome my insecurities through what I thought what I thought was was the right thing to do and the right thing to say I was actually making the situation worse mm. and so I really had to take after that situation resolved I really had to take a step back and say Lisha are you a solution to the problem or are you adding to the problem and um that was a really hard point in my career where I had to figure out is this where I want to be is this where I feel that I am adding value do I feel like this is my purpose um, and it took a lot of soul searching. It took a lot of digging. And I really had to come to a point for myself where I had to be okay with not knowing everything. I had to be okay with not being the expert. Um, but I didn't stop there. It's like, okay, you're okay with that, but what are you going to do about it? What is the solution? And I really just doubled down on learning developing, um, going to webinars, seminars, taking online courses, reading books, listening to podcasts, and whenever I possibly could, immersing myself in a world of education so that I knew what I felt were my areas that I didn't know. Um, and I realized that my leaders and the right organizations appreciated that more that my confidence of saying, listen, I don't know something, but I want to make sure I get the facts right for you so that you're confident in the decisions you're going to make. Let me circle back with you and make sure that, you know, th these, these facts are checked correctly. There was more appreciation and more value for, for that line of language than just saying, okay, yep, I know it all. This is what you do, A, B, C, D. Don't worry, just trust me. Um, because at the end of the day, you know, trust is, tr trust is, a, is, again, even with, with our relationship, trust is not something that comes overnight. So every moment that you interact with someone, communicate, do work with someone, collaborate with someone, you are either building trust with them or taking it away. And I was realizing that the way that I was working, it wasn't where I should be build, constantly building trust because I need to, as an HR professional, to do the work that I need to do that wasn't always my outcome. And so I had to really take a step back and, you know, do my own reflection and do my own self identification of what is it that I'm going to be doing moving forward to ensure that I'm adding the optimal amount of value to any business that I support and that I work within and making sure that, okay, I am now going and becoming that trusted advisor because they know my methodology and my mindset that I have their best interest at heart. 
Um, and, and that's honestly what's been carrying me through um, into this, you know, later part of my career where I'm able to understand, I'm able to identify situations a lot better and I'm okay to have that real conversation with myself. Um, because at, at that point I didn't have anyone, you know, else to have it with me. So, you know, I had to do that to myself. And, and now as I've, you know, grown, I, I have, you know, a support system in a group that, you know, also helps me in that space, but I really did have to take that first step on my own. Thank you for that really, really honest share, because I guarantee you every leader who's listening to this has that had that kind of situation and mm -hmm. it is a part of their every day. And I think that, and I, I can't tell you, it does show up so often in coaching as well, right? It's okay mm -hmm. to not have the answers and to say, you know what, that's a, you know, I'm, I'm not a hundred percent sure. There's a couple of things I want to check. Let me get around that. Let me get back to you. Mm -hmm. And there is this belief that, you know, I need to know right in that moment. And it's so beautiful because anytime you model like that, you're helping another leader see the same thing. Oh, mm. it's okay for me yeah. in that moment to say, I'm not a hundred percent sure. And then mm -hmm. they're all understanding like, oh, okay. And because it is in the whole grand scheme of things to get to the right solution, a lot of times you need some more facts. You don't have everything, have everything in that moment, or there is some expertise you might want to get outside. So exactly. that's really great advice for everybody listening. And uh, Alicia, as we start to wrap up today's conversation, I always like to leave, give my guests an opportunity to leave a final thought with the audience. So mm -hmm. what comes up for you in terms of a final thought? Yes, um, I would say this is my mantra, which is if it doesn't challenge you, it doesn't change you. And so for myself, I'm always that individual that's looking to um, strive bigger, aim higher. And I'm really coming to the conclusion that unless, if I don't feel uncomfortable, I'm not in that phase of growth. The moment that I'm comfortable, it's trying, time to change something up again. And so I just encourage everybody that's listening that, you know, you're, you're looking for that next step in your career. You're looking to maybe make a pivot or a change in your career find out what what your uncomfortable zone is um, and because that is where you're going to experience that growth and that change that you're looking for yes find those edges <laughs> yeah thank you so much for being on the show today alicia thank you for having me kristen it's been a pleasure um, for everybody listening, um, please go to the website, kristenharcourt.com for more information. Uh, there'll be more information on Alicia as well. And if you're not already subscribing, you can also subscribe on the blog at kristenharcourt.com or on Apple Podcasts. Thanks, everyone. Have a wonderful day.